Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. It's been 3,284 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and now 365 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Russian Ministry of Defense is fomenting unrest on and off the battlefield. There is a very small but notable chance that the ongoing provocations could spark Russian-on-Russian violence. Second, We maintain that the Russian Minister of Defense is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and its leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, both on and off the battlefield. Third, due to reported equipment, communications, and ammunition shortages, we have very low confidence that Russian forces will launch a larger concentrated offensive in one or more directions on or before February 24th. Fourth, We maintain there is an extremely high risk of punitive missile and drone strikes on civilians and civilian infrastructure from February 23rd to 24th, with highly favorable weather conditions expected and a noticeable increase in drone activity in the last 12 hours. Fifth, we maintain that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Sixth, We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Seventh, we maintain that the Russian Federation's inventory of caliber cruise missiles is critically low based on the continued decline of launches from the Black Sea Fleet. And finally, we maintain there is no possibility of Ukraine invading Transnistria without provocation. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, activity increased and social intelligence about the region became available. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that a Russian DRG unit near Fikhalivka, located on the west bank of the Oskil River, was discovered and neutralized. Russian forces Shaldriyanikivka and Masyutivka 
with mercenary mill blogger War Gonzo reporting that Russian troops tried to advance into Masyutivka. A video showed Russian troops shelling Ukrainian positions in the northern part of the village. Based on the available information, the gray area south of the line of conflict was confirmed, and no changes to the map were made. Kharkiv was hit by four S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack, striking the industrial areas of the Kiev district. Several industrial facilities were damaged in the attack, and two men were injured. Both are hospitalized, but in good condition. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. There were mixed reports out of Luhansk, with Ukrainian sources reporting a Russian attempt to break through defensive lines, while Russian sources reported only DRG activity with exchanges of artillery fire. Russian mill blogger German Kulikovsky reiterated that the 144th and other Russian units remain in, quote, active defense with, quote, little advance. In the Svatova operational direction, Novoselivsky was shelled, while fighting continued in the western part of Kuzimivka. In the Kremina operational area, Wargonzo reported that Russian troops attempted to advance on Nevsky. There were no reports of significant fighting from Ploshanka to Chervonopopivka. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces successfully repulsed a Russian attack in the area of Dibrova. Luhansk Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Serhi Haidai said Russian forces were focused on Kremina and that a Russian advance was, quote, beaten back, with, quote, heavy equipment destroyed. In the Serebriansky woods near Bratska Mohila, Russian forces, supported by up to a company of tanks, attempted to break through Ukrainian defensive positions. Multiple videos on the ground and by drone confirmed Haidai's report, showing the complete destruction of Russian tanks and infantry fighting vehicles. As always, most of the photos and videos we reference are linked in our full situation report on Patreon. In the Lysychansk operational area, Wargonzo reported that Russian forces continued their unsuccessful attacks on Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. In occupied Luhansk, civil workers were instructed to work from home for the rest of the week, as tensions are running high that Ukraine could launch a large-scale attack in the next 48 hours. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, Rybar claims that Russian forces made marginal gains in the direction of Vesele. The GSAFU reported that a Russian attack in the direction of Ferorivka was repulsed. In the Bakhmut operational area, the situation for Ukrainian forces deteriorated in several areas. Russian attacks on Orikhovo-Vasilivka and Dubovo-Vasilivka were repulsed. A geolocated video confirmed the line of conflict north of the M3 highway. Fighting continued on the outskirts of Yahidne, while PMC Wagner claimed they had reached the center of Berhivka. Heavy fighting restarted northeast, north, southeast, south, and southwest of Bakhmut. Numerous videos released by Russian and Ukrainian sources enabled us to adjust the line of conflict. In northeast Bakhmut, a geolocated video showing Ukrainian troops firing on Russian positions confirmed that the existing line of conflict did not need to be adjusted. In the eastern part of Bakhmut, 
a geolocated video showed no change to the line of conflict. South of Patriso Lomombi, Russian forces had advanced up to five blocks west, with a Ukrainian BMP infantry fighting vehicle engaging the advancing troops. The line of conflict here was adjusted based on the updated information. To the south, on the edge of Opitne, fighting continued, with Russian forces unable to advance. In the southwestern part of Bakhmut, Russian forces pushed through Ukrainian defensive positions with advanced troops now within 500 meters of the T-504 highway near the airplane statue. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, Russian troops supported by PMC Wagner regained their lost territory south of Ivanivske. A geolocated video showed Russian troops pinned down by artillery fire near the T-504 highway. Another geolocated video showed Russian forces had made gains along the Seversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal. Ukrainian troops were engaged in a firefight with only 50 meters of separation. Based on the body of evidence, we made significant changes to the map to record the confirmed Russian advances. Some assessment here. The pattern of stabilization, breakthrough, and then falling back to the next defensive line continues. The new intelligence is from February 19th to 22nd and does not indicate a sudden breakthrough in several directions. Russian forces are no closer to creating a technical encirclement. But if they reach the Bakhmutsky River in the eastern part of the city, Ukrainian commanders will have to make some tough decisions. The GSAFU reported that Russian forces attempted to attack from Kurdyomivka and were unsuccessful. In southwest Donetsk, in the Toretsk, New York operational area, War Gonzo reported that Russian forces were attacking toward Keramik, which seems unlikely, since the settlement is west of Novokalinove, which is under Ukrainian control. In the Avdivka operational area, Russian troops continued their attacks on the western edge of Novobakhmutivka without success. South of Avdivka, the First Army Corps launched another attack from Vodyana and continued their attempts to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelsky. Ukrainian officials reported that after a year of shelling, Avdiivka has been completely destroyed. In the Marinka operational area, fighting continued in the city's center along Druzhby Avenue. A geolocated video showed Russian troops attacking the Pravoslavny Kham church on the western edge of Marinka using anti-tank missiles. In the Wuhedar operational area, after Russian forces lost control of the Mikhilsky Dachas and the industrial regions of Pavlivka, they responded the only way they knew how, by starting a campaign to bomb Wuhedar flat. Video taken within the five-square-kilometer town showed massive destruction. Some civilians refused to leave despite the ongoing artillery, rocket, and thermobaric weapons attacks and lack of all utilities. Russian forces also attempted to advance on Prechistivka and were unsuccessful. In Mariupol, Russian occupiers were shocked that attacks had started as they believed the area was safely out of range of Ukrainian weapons. Further, they're surprised at the accuracy of the strikes. The exiled Mariupol City Council claimed a Russian ammunition depot near the main port was destroyed. 
Rocket attacks launched by HIMARS on February 21st destroyed the Solnitschny Sanatorium in Russian-occupied Makievka. The facility was being used to house Russian troops and as a field hospital, with local officials claiming it was unoccupied. The strike destroyed the third and fourth floors of the building. Moving on to Zaporizhia. A Russian source claimed that attacks on Kamyanskia on the east bank of the Dnipro River restarted with no change in the line of conflict. There was no update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, nor the contingent of International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, inspectors. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported five Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol, with no missile carriers among them. The limited deployment was due to poor sea conditions, which should significantly improve today. Massive traffic jams were reported on both sides of the Kurt Strait Bridge, with Russian forces inspecting all vehicles attempting to cross the structure. The bridge was severely damaged on October 8th by an apparent truck bomb. The second highway lanes are expected to open in early March after months of restoration work, while the railroad crossing isn't expected to be fully operational until late summer of 2023. The Russian MOD accused the Ukrainian government of planning a, quote, provocation against Transnistria, with rumors circulating of a pending attack. The ministry made similar claims in June 2022 and launched a series of poorly done false flag attacks in the self-declared republic's capital of Tiraspol and along the border. Russian state media agency TASS reported, quote, as a pretext for the invasion, Ukraine plans to take a fake offensive of alleged Russian troops from the territory of Transnistria. For this, the Ukrainian saboteurs participating in the staged invasion will be dressed in the uniform of the military personnel of the armed forces of the Russian Federation. End quote. Well, that's awfully convenient, isn't it? A United States Air Force RC-135W rivet joint flew a mission along the Moldova-Romanian border. The aircraft is designed to monitor and analyze electronic communications across a broad spectrum of frequencies. The aircraft's flight path would have enabled it to monitor almost all communications across Moldova, the western third of the Black Sea, and the western edges of Ukraine. The Moldovan government held training exercises, activating units of the Territorial Guard. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. Russian forces shelled Kherson, Bereslav, and Tyachinka. East of the Dnipro, Russian forces claimed they shot down a Ukrainian Su-25 with a manpad and released a video that faintly showed that something was hit by the ground-to-air missile. There were also social media reports that Olishki was shelled. In north and northeast Ukraine, Operational Command North reported that a convoy of Russian military vehicles without identification marks and dressed in pixel uniforms similar to the ones used by the Ukrainian armed forces was recorded moving near the border of Cherniv. Quote, the occupiers, the Russians, 
are preparing possible provocations for the anniversary of the full-scale invasion. Most likely, the goal is to accuse the Ukrainian defenders of violating territorial integrity. End quote. An explosion reported near Sumy was claimed to be Ukrainian air defenses. There was no other information at the time of recording. On the Russian front, the Russian settlements of Shebikino and Pervotsepliayevo in the Bilgorod Federal District were shelled, with one injury reported. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is your, uh, co-pilot speaking. Uh, our pilot is not feeling well at this time. Uh... Help me! So, uh, I'll be taking over, uh, for the rest of the flight. So I'd just like to ask you all to, uh, sit back and relax and, uh, enjoy the rest of the podcast. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Hey, do we need to change the sign? Oh, we don't have to change the sign again. Russia's talking about nuclear weapons again, but this time, Andrei Kellen, Russian ambassador to the United Kingdom, has said that Moscow would not use nuclear weapons in the war against Ukraine. Quote, we have a very clear doctrine, and it describes a very precise case when a nuclear weapon can be used. It is if a nuclear attack is launched against Russia for the first time, and if a conventional attack will be so grave that the existence of our state is in danger. End quote. Kellen's comments came as he clarified that Russia's suspending participation in the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty, START, only applies to, quote, verification procedures for Russia's strategic nuclear weapons arsenal and repeated the Kremlin claim that the treaty limits will be honored. In other words, what he's saying is, trust me, bro. The Russian Federal Council unanimously approved the law suspending participation in the START III treaty on February 22nd. Lieutenant General Sergei Nayev, commander of the United Forces of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, said Russia has 350,000 troops inside and along the Ukrainian border. That includes local militias, volunteers, and private military companies. Approximately 10,000 were located in Belarus for basic military training, and Belarus has 4,000 soldiers along the the Ukrainian border. Nayev said that there were sufficient troops along the entire northern border of Ukraine for stabilization action if Russia attempted to attack Kyiv again. He reiterated that there are not enough Russian military resources on the northern border of Ukraine to launch a successful attack. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed hundreds of new graduates from the National Academy of Land Forces and the Odessa Military Academy, saying, quote, Gentlemen, officers, soon you will go to the Active army to our defense forces. You will replenish the teams of combat brigades, mechanized and motor infantry, tank and artillery, amphibious assault and mountain assault, assault and marine infantry, as well as special purpose military units. Some of you will lead units in the new assault brigades that are just being formed, always and everywhere. Be brave and protect your soldiers, always and everywhere. Take care of the honor of your units. 
believe in yourself and believe in Ukraine, end quote. Moving to assessment, it's important to note that these new officers have been trained to NATO standards of a bottom-up command approach and will be empowered to overcome adapt and improvise on the battlefield. Those destined for new assault brigades and additional training at NATO bases will be far better trained than their Russian counterparts. The head of the Defense Intelligence Directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, also known as the GUR, told Forbes that the offensive announced by Russia was so poorly executed that not everybody noticed. Quick assessment here. Um, we noticed. And this matches our assessment of February 4, when we declared that the Russian offensive had started and the attacks launched from January 24 through February 3rd were not shaping operations. The Minister of Energy of Ukraine said that Ukraine's power systems continue to work stably with the reserve capacity despite the cold weather. Quote, today, despite the increase in consumption, the generation fully meets the needs of electricity consumers. End quote. Repair to several thermal power plants have been completed, and that's added capacity to the electrical grid. There were some oblasts that were experiencing some power outages due to severe weather and high winds, knocking out power lines, and those are in the process of being repaired. The Border Committee of the Republic of Belarus complained to Ukrainian officials about the intentional mining of roads at the border crossings and Ukrainian soldiers making, and I quote, offensive gestures, unquote, to their Belarusian counterparts. Ukrainian officials countered that the gestures were only serving as a friendly warning that dangerous mines are located across the border. You know, friendly gestures with a finger and then a couple of fingers making that motion across the neck. You know, don't cross here. Bad things will happen. Friendly gestures. British Defense Minister Ben Wallace announced that the government had signed new contracts to increase ammunition and weapons production, and the first batches have already started arriving in Ukraine and United Kingdom stockpiles. A Czech Republic company has been producing 35 inflatable M142 and M270 HIMARS GMLRS decoys monthly for the Ukrainian armed forces. Armad is claimed to have destroyed 55 HIMARS launchers as of the moment of recording this podcast since June 2022 and has likely successfully destroyed dozens of balloons. Ukraine has also set up decoy M777 artillery sites using artillery shells around the sites to make them look a little more convincing. You know, have an idea. I wonder if there's a side hustle of selling children's bouncy castles shaped like M270 HIMARS launchers. Let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. After repeatedly claiming that Russia was a peaceful nation, only defending itself against Western aggression and tolerance of all things, President Vladimir Putin led a concert and rally celebrating the ongoing special military operation. That's not what they called the rally, but that's what it was really about. Held at an 81,000-seat outdoor stadium, it was reported to fill seats. Free food was offered, and some attendees were paid up to 500 rubles. We can't verify the claims of paid attendees. Despite those efforts, some sections were only half full. Russian flags were handed out, and attendees were advised not to wear yellow or blue, if at all possible. Before Putin came out, access to seating was closed, and attendees were not allowed to leave their seats. Like last year's event, when Putin awkwardly asked the crowd to follow him with three cheers of Ura, 
the freezing cold participants gave him one, demonstrating the Russian government's commitment to being against imperialism, expansionism, and being a peaceful nation. Russian soldier Mikhail Romanenko performed a self-written rap promising, among other things, that the red flag of victory would fly over Berlin again. All we want is peace, peace, peace. A little piece of Ukraine, a little piece of Poland, a little piece of Moldova, a little piece of Estonia, maybe a little slice of Germany. Mmm, tasty. People were streaming out of the stadium before the event ended, complaining about the bitter cold and how the free hot tea, buckwheat porridge, and hot dogs had run out. Hackers broadcasted fake air raid alerts over FM radio stations in at least 10 Russian cities, warning of an imminent missile attack and advising people to go to bomb shelters. The aptly named Ministry of Emergency Situations blamed outside parties for the fake warning and assured people there weren't any imminent attacks. The state Duma adopted a bill regulating gun ownership in the occupied territories. Russian passport holders who owned personal weapons can continue to store, carry, and use their weapons until January 1st, 2026. If a person was an existing permit holder of the Donetsk People's Republic, the Luhansk People's Republic, Russia, or Ukraine. However, the purchase of new weapons or ammunition is now banned. As for what happens on January 2nd, 2026, I think we all know. Ultranationalist, white supremacist, and keyboard warrior based in Spain, Alex Parker, reported that Dmitry Skvortsov, a Russian Orthodox priest, was arrested by the security services of Ukraine, the SBU. Parker claimed that Skvortsov is a, quote, journalist and supporter of the canonical church in Ukraine and Russian Orthodoxy. Skvortsov had been on the run for a year and was tracked down in a Kiev church, with Ukraine charging him with treason and suspecting the priest of being a Russian GRU agent. Alex Parker was on a roll. He also accused fellow mill blogger Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Kodovovsky of the 11th Brigade, formerly the 6th, of the 1st Army Corps. We're still not sure if that's the Donetsk People's Republic or the Russian military, of being a traitor and a spy for the Ukrainian GUR. He claims that the failure at Vuladar was partially his fault because the Kremlin is too dumb to see he is a spy, and he actively works against the DNR. On the subject of Kodovsky, the DNR commander claimed that the ammunition shortages PMC Wagner is facing are artificial, and the private military company is being supplied equally to other Russian units now, writing, quote, we envied the Wagners in a good way when they had their own frontline aviation, a daily allowance of two Iskandars and one caliber cruise missile. And when they signed applications for 2,500 guns for training, it was approved. Now the supply guys have become like everyone else. They were lowered to the general norms, which do not allow them to get the desired results. End quote. Kodovsky also added that during the Vuladar offensive, the DNR had to reduce, quote, daily consumption to a minimum, end quote, to accumulate enough ammunition for the first day of the failed offensive. PMC Wagner head Yevgeny Prigozhin continued this circling firing squad, publishing an extremely graphic photo of 80 to 100 dead Wagner mercenaries saying, quote, they didn't give us ammunition and they still don't. It's now 10 o'clock in the morning on 20. 
22 February. No steps have been taken to issue ammunition. I'm posting a photo below. This is one of the gathering places of the dead. These are the guys who died yesterday because of the so-called shell famine. There should have been five times fewer of them. End quote. Late on February 22nd, Prigozhin claimed that the Russian mod had released ammunition to his private military company and was, quote, on its way, unquote, and the quote, main papers from the Kremlin had been signed. While the Russian military and mill bloggers are fighting amongst themselves over ammunition, the head of the Ukrainian GUR stated the obvious. Russia has ammunition problems. Budinov told Forbes, quote, for two months now, the Russian groups operating in our country have been living in a mode economizing the use of ammunition, end quote, adding that Kremina and Bakhmut areas were exceptions. We had previously confirmed that Russia was using World War II era D1 152mm howitzers, and now another museum piece has entered the chat. Trucks carrying BTR-50 armored personnel carriers with V in a square invasion markings were spotted in the Donbass. The BTR-50 was built from 1954 to 1970 and is a light armored personnel carrier with 7 to 13 millimeters of welded steel armor, no main gun, and can hold up to 20 troops. In Vladivostok, widows of fallen soldiers were given a gift from the government administration, sausages and pate. Quick assessment here. We don't know who thought providing ground meat and ground liver as a thank you for your service gift would be a good idea. Read the room. CNN, citing two U.S. officials, reported that Russia carried out a test launch of its new Sarmat ICBM during U.S. President Joe Biden's visit to Kiev, hoping to announce the successful launch during Putin's February 21st speech. That was the two-hour snooze-fest speech. The launch initially went as planned, but the missile suffered some sort of catastrophic failure in flight. Another military unit of Mobix is rioting and refusing to fight. Troops from the Volunteer Cossack Detachment attached to the 155th Marine Brigade of the Russian Pacific Fleet, are refusing to continue to take part in offensive operations due to the failure of the offensive and significant personnel losses near Vuladar. Who could have thought sending unarmed soldiers into an offensive, as Russia did over the weekend, would cause a crisis in troop morale? All is going to plan. In geopolitical news, President of Moldova Maya Sandu met with U.S. President Joe Biden in Warsaw and invited him to visit Chisinau. Sandu wrote, quote, We are grateful to the American people for their help over the last year to overcome the energy crisis. We continue to rely on the support of the American government in our efforts to diversify energy sources and strengthen our energy security. End quote. A draft law submitted to the State Duma proposes moving occupied Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Zaporizhia to the Moscow time zone because clearly that's really important government business. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the People's Republic of China spokesperson Wang Wenbi said China is not considering supplying weapons to Russia for use in the war against Ukraine. He called on NATO to, quote, stop smearing China with unfounded speculations on Ukraine, abandon the old Cold War mentality of zero-sum game and block confrontation, and stop fomenting confrontation, end quote. At the same time, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi said in Moscow that Beijing will 
will, quote, firmly pursue an independent and autonomous foreign policy, end quote, and the relationship between Russia and China is, quote, continues to operate at a high level, end quote. The Chinese foreign ministry also called for calm between Russia and the United States, calling for the two nations to resolve their difference on the START treaty. Pedro Sanchez, the prime minister of Spain, arrived in Kiev for a state visit. He's meeting with President Zelensky to discuss military aid and tour Bucha and Irpine. In economic news, the ruble's exchange rate held at 75 for one U.S. dollar. West Texas intermediate crude continued to drift outward, falling to $75 a barrel, while Brent dropped more sharply to $81. Russian Ural's crude also fell with the wink-wink official price, dropping to $53 a barrel. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline dropped to $234 a gallon, that's 62 cents a liter, on the spot market. Dutch TTF natural gas futures were unchanged with March and April's contracts holding at 50 euros per megawatt hour. And Chicago SRW wheat futures were flat, shaving off a few pennies to reach $7.51 a bushel for May 2023 delivery. Sarah, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine, sir. You know what? They can't kill us. They can't hurt us. Victory is ours. It doesn't f***ing matter. Why? Because we're Ukraine. And ultimately, Putin is going to be the one dead. Progrosian is going to be the one dead. And this is a small price for liberation and for freedom. Slava Ukraini. Heroem Slava. That's Sarah Ashton Cirillo. Sarah was on our podcast in early January. I had the privilege of interviewing her. Sarah's lost part of her right hand and has suffered a facial injury. But as you can hear, uh, she is every bit as spicy as she has always been and is ambulatory and conscious and should have a meaningful recovery. Please keep Sarah in your thoughts as she goes through this process. My name is David Obeltz. Thank you for letting me jump in into the second half of the podcast today. It's been one year since Russia's wide-scale invasion of Ukraine started. And as I always like to say, because there's so much awful in the world, please be good to each other. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.